Welcome back to Active Minds Podcast, where we look to learn and explore through people that are paving their own lane. Today, I have someone who is going to basically guide us on knowing the actual value of things. Here's the one problem that we keep having, especially when we look at economies at scale, societies at scale, we keep going through the exact same problem every single time where we will look at something and assign it a value and think that we're right. But how often have you been wrong? So today we're going to have a little fun with this and it's going to be a little bit of a different episode. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you. Andrew Glisson today joins us from Memphis, Tennessee, yep. originally from Houston, Texas. Uh, you made the switch from Houston to Texas. I feel like you're going to piss off a lot of people, by the way, because <laughs> you sing Memphis's praises. I mean, you even said the food's better, which I believe. Um, but specifically, you have this gift. You've got this gut feeling that tells you the calculations say one thing, but there's that one missing ingredient. Yeah. I'd love to get in the, into that with you. Sure. Like, for example, the average person would think Houston, Texas. Yeah. Memphis, Tennessee. Meh. You actually saw it the reverse. Yeah. How'd, how'd that come about? You know, uh, well, originally... Um, I had a rental property in Memphis mm -hmm. that uh, um, I I basically tr converted into a rental um, when I moved to Houston in twenty in twenty ten, mm -hmm. and um, I had it for a while, and it was easy for me to um, to to build I guess a portfolio slowly while I was working in Houston mm -hmm. um, for a Fortune five hundred financial services company, and was kind of slowly you know bolting on properties here and there over like a ten year period of time. And then um, Memphis just had the uh, uh, some of the real estate was you know 1940s 1950s builds it's interesting, had yeah. not been gentrified at all. Uh, some of these neighborhoods were just really you know old houses and, and kind of beat up. And I saw it as an opportunity to go in there and fix you know some of these houses and really kind of neighborhoods and uh, and put them on the rental market, build a portfolio for myself, and um, kind of go from there. And so that's that's really. You know, Memphis, in my eyes, and we have some properties in Indianapolis also. Okay. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, finding um, finding an, an undervalued asset, you know, repositioning that asset with, you know, some construction or renovation. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, some people sell it and they flip it. But we chose to build a portfolio and hold these long term. So, and we've done that, you know, and, and accumulated close to 200 doors now. So, um, Ooh, nice. over the last really kind of three years. It's doing fucking that. healthy portfolio. Yeah. yeah. Um, now nice. to you it sounds easy to you it feels easy yeah. it's just like a need it's like at the back i know like the back of my hand approach however let's let's pretend for two seconds that you uh you and i have never done real estate in our life what is it like going into a market like memphis that especially the mid-century homes a lot of those are either grandfathered in passed down yeah. you know and so on how do you build a rental market in an otherwise traditional ownership market yeah well you know memphis memphis has converted um over the past you know 15 20 years from really kind of an owner occupant market to more of a rental market oh and okay. where i started was close to was was really in the middle of town close to a university the university of memphis oh and so there's okay, inherently you know some draw there from students yep. that are looking to rent houses uh, but it's not only students that rent our homes it's you know young professionals it's i mean pr pr people all over the all over the map and so um, there was a natural draw. The, the neighborhood that we have stuff in, you know, has um, stuff to do. It's easy access to great city amenities. The Botanic Gardens is around the corner. There's a golf course. 
Um, so there are things that people want to live near, near the houses that, that I buy. Mm -hmm. And so it was an easier task, I guess. Um, you know, when you're, when you're looking at a place to invest your money, I didn't want to do it, you know, in the middle of nowhere, a rural area, because it <laughs> yeah, could sit on the market forever if, you know, nobody wants to, nobody wants to live out in the country. And so, um, I definitely wanted to be, you know, in a, in an area where there's some, um, there's some, you know, uh, a lot of people that are already renting, I guess, you know, yeah, easier to think through. Hmm. Well, that one I can definitely, um, the college thing sticks out, the golf course sticks out. So you basically looked at it from the point of view of what would it be like to live here? Yeah. It's almost like designing a life and then kind of going around it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The mid-century homes are pretty nice to work on, by the way. So I, I can understand also the allure yeah. of that. Um, yeah, definitely. But it also brings to the other thing, at least from my perspective, when I played in that market, the mid-century home market, there are some common pitfalls. For example, the zoning, uh, how tall can I build, things like that. Is it the same thing over in – was it the same thing in Memphis? You know, not really. And, and I'm not really doing any new construction. Mm -hmm. So what I was doing was um, my bread and butter is a house that's about to collapse, basically. <laughs> I was buying stuff. We buy ugly that, houses? 100%, man, 100%. Nice. Because in 2008, the financial crisis really impacted Memphis in a big way. What happened was that – there were these international buyers that had come in and bought as many houses as they could. It's, it's a lot like the institutions are doing now. They're buying up, you know, neighborhoods mm -hmm. uh, or, or people think that they're buying up neighborhoods. It's a little bit of a misconception, but um, that was happening a lot in Memphis mm -hmm. prior to the financial crisis. There were these big firms that were, um, you know, all over the place buying as many houses as they could. And then they were over leveraging themselves. Like, for instance, one group was buying stuff in the neighborhood that I own a lot of properties and they would buy this house for 50 grand not do any work to it, um, and then borrow $125,000 against that house. Everything's fine. And the way they were doing it was they basically had a bank that agreed with them to give them basically the average of all the prices in the whole zip code. They would give them the average oh, as wow. a loan against that property. And so it didn't take long for that thing to go belly up because they wouldn't invest any money into it. And so uh, when somebody moved out, they couldn't move anybody in because it was such a dump. Yeah. And then the house would go vacant. So. A lot of the stuff that I started buying initially was had been vacant for, you know, five years. And so six years And these in these houses had holes in the roof. They were falling down. Uh, I mean, I could show you some of the houses in our portfolio that Dude, you, you should have been believe, on that show. You know? home, like, was it a home makeover or something? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them out there. <laughs> like a savior, dude. Holy I don't even shit. know if the camera crews would follow me into some of these houses, but we yeah. pull all that stuff out. We throw it in the dumpster and then put all new stuff back in. And so you're taking, you know, neighborhoods. I think mm -hmm. one of our neighborhoods that we're in, I mean, we've renovated, you know, over 75 properties within like a, you know, a 0.2 mile radius. Holy it makes a shit. huge impact to the neighborhood, you know? Yeah. And so that's really, um, for us, you know, we, we code enforcement is a little bit of a problem. Uh, there's no really zoning regulations because we're not really building anything new. Mm -hmm. All we're doing is like renovating you know, existing infrastructure that's there. Oh, so you bring like it up facade, to modern standard, standards. Yeah, yeah, hundred okay. percent. Yeah. So these old brick homes are like um, we've have a few mid-century modern homes, but most of them are old colonials. You know, okay. and they're yeah. they're like brick exterior, and uh, we have some old like wooden homes that are like nineteen. Like yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So we'll just um, we'll just go in, you know, pull the windows out, new windows, new roof, you know, new electrical plumbing, you know, on and on it goes. Put you know stainless steel appliances in these things, and so um, that's really the model. Uh, that that trips up. Okay, so I know you've seen you mentioned wholesaling before we started recording, and yeah. wholesaling took off. And yeah. I've noticed that as wholesaling got saturated, yeah, 
some wholesaler said, hmm, maybe I could buy and hold this, maybe I could buy and flip this. But man, that project management, that's where a lot of them get got. For sure. You know, like one one person, I'm not gonna name her name, uh, <laughs> she recently transitioned from wholesaling into the buy and hold game. She went over budget on three of her projects. Yeah. She said, I'm gonna learn my lesson. She took a course and now she went over on six of her projects, yeah. dude. Like, yep. Okay, but that happens. That's happening more and more now. What What are you? Obviously, time has been your teacher. Yeah. What are some of the the first things? If I'm walking in, I'm going to start flipping a place or renovating it. Yeah. What are the first things, in your opinion, that I should be looking for? Man, you, you really have to. I, I tell people all the time, like you you have to buy homes if you're going to renovate them. You have to renovate what you understand. Mm. And when I first started, I didn't understand any of it, and so I started buying you know, houses that were like a house that, you know, I personally bought when I was in college and then renovated myself. So I had a, a little bit of an understanding, okay, there's a difference between plaster walls and, she walls and sheetrock. And this is how you tear tile out. And this is how you put new tile <laughs> yeah. in. And so I really don't deviate from those, you know, late 1940s to 1950s ah, homes. Yeah, I, I've niched into what <clears throat> a house that I understand. Um, I know the building blocks of this house, you know, they don't have basements. Uh, a lot of times they're, you know, one stories primarily, and um, they're either on a, on a, a um, no basement, so it's a conventional foundation or a slab. Mm -hmm. I don't like slabs as much as I like conventional foundations, but I, I just don't, like, leave that type of property. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think what a lot of people do is that they go into a home um, when they haven't done this before, and then they see kind of what's on TV, and they overspend on materials. They're yeah. buying six dollars square foot tile when you can buy something for a dollar fifty. That looks great, and they're um, they're just putting too much money into house, and so and they don't have a realistic budget to begin with. So, you know, a lot of the times that people go over budget, you know, they don't think about um, from a long term hold perspective. Like, I need to replace a sewer pipe. Well, that's ten thousand dollars, and you know, somebody will do a renovation on a house tenant moves in the first time they you know flush the toilet or run something down the garbage disposal plumbing doesn't work then it's 10 grand over budget so you know we have designed a strategy on the construction side where we really understand here here is what we need to like look for in some analysis that we need to make before we build our renovation budget mm -hmm. um but it's gotten pretty expensive now i mean materials are a little bit higher and so you really have to like factor in i haven't bought anything this year because you know, the wholesalers want too much money for it. Oh my and God. Yeah. Dude, like adding 50, $40,000 on top of the deal. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it got too fat. So I'm working through existing inventory and renovating mm -hmm. like vacant homes that I have because the wholesalers will understand at some point, okay, I can't make that margin and they're going to yeah. lower the price. And then I'll jump have back to tame in. those expectations yeah. a little bit. That, uh, yeah, there's this company in particular, uh, that a buddy of mine helped grow. And, uh, I was looking at their margins, one house, had a $70,000 oh, yeah. fucking wholesaler fee. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, a buddy of mine made a hundred grand flipping a house to the institutions. I mean, it's great <laughs> doing that. And if you can do it, like, you I know, mean, but an institution is different. It. Like, yeah. like if you sell it a BlackRock, of course it can overpay. Yeah. But if I'm bringing it to you, you know, hi, Andrew, like here's yeah. this $50,000 tax on top of it. Yeah, and yeah, then I mess yeah, up, yeah. I mess with the ARV, the after repairs value numbers. Of course, you're gonna look at me like, mm, yeah, you, know, you can keep that. Yeah, but the problem is, is like I'm I'm pretty savvy to it. I understand like when a wholesaler brings you something that has no value, or or it has value, but they're asking too much money for it. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm a quick no, you know. And um, other people though that want to get into real estate and you know I want to jump in that don't know anything about it are going to get sold and be stuck with an asset that they've overpaid for. And so, you know, I. 
I keep on, you know, trying to tell wholesalers like, look, this is where I'm at. You know, if you've got something that falls in these parameters, then let me know. But I can't pay you as high of a success fee because the value <laughs> of the real estate is not there. You know, that's a good way to put it. Success <laughs> that's fee. what it is, man. I like, I think I'm going to change it from tax to success. Yeah, fee. <laughs> it could be a tax though. Um, yeah. But not, but on that, the way that you value things, um, as I said, like already twice already, the way that you value things is your own way. You said something that stuck out to me. You said I renovated about 75 homes within a very small radius. So mm-hmm. in essence, you beautified a town after yeah. a while. So why that area? Like why? Because I know like I've worked at development and I know how we look at an area. Mm-hmm. But you looked at pre-existing and said, let's bring it here. How yeah. did you know it was undervalued? Number one, let's start there. Yeah. How did you know this place was undervalued? Uh, just the math. I mean, um, I was I was looking at how much I could buy a house for, mm-hmm. how much it would cost me to renovate it, and then what I could rent it for. And the spreads were pretty good. They were 15 plus percent on oh. my cash, right? And so that was a pretty good a pretty good spread. It's not as high as that right now because for someone who doesn't know what that means, spread. What what does that mean? Yeah. So um, so you have to look at your your rate of return in any investment, okay. right? And so you know annualized stock market returns since you know the beginning of the stock market's like whatever ten percent or yeah. six. You know, goddamn you S and P. Yeah. Now it's not as good this year. No, but. no, not at all. Watches <laughs> are outperforming it, dude. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's basically um, it's a, the formula is is if you make you know, $10,000 a year on a property. And then you take out your operating expenses, which, you know, for single family homes is generally 30 to 40%. And so you you are making $6,000 a year on that house. Then you divide that $6,000, that's your net operating income. Mm-hmm. You divide that into what you invested in the project and that's your return. There you go. So it's a simple formula. And so I would take that formula and I would say, you know, the house is 50 grand. It's going to cost me 50 grand to renovate it. After all my expenses, this is what I'm making. And I would back that number into that house. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, all day long. And so um, that's how I would value it. And I, I value real estate. Um, I mean, you, ha- you have to value it on, uh, on the individual asset. And, and is, that, is this worth that number that I'm putting into it in the neighborhood? Um, because you can't, you don't want to invest 200 grand into a house that you could only sell for a hundred thousand. That doesn't make any sense. You're upside down. Um, but then you also have to value it. Am I, am I making any money, you know, annually on this, on this investment also? So there is like, you know, will this house appraise and is it in, in the neighborhood it, or, it, and am I going to make, you know, money on it monthly yeah. uh, or annually? And so that's really how I value real estate. And so, um, you know, a lot of people like the wholesalers right now, they're trying to sell me something that, you know, ultimately I'm going to have $175,000 invested after I renovate in a neighborhood that supports 125. So that doesn't Ooh. make sense to me. Right. Yeah. That's a big that's chunk. Kinda, yeah. That's a big chunk. But people are doing that. People are buying those houses from the wholesalers and they're getting upside down, which is crazy. So I'm on the sidelines right now. Have you heard of this new program that Bank of America just released to like, oh, for like low income areas and all yeah. this stuff like that? Like I, on paper and from the PR standpoint, it sounds mm, great. Yeah. But I guess the reality of it, the reality of it is scary to me, dude. Is it? Because of the areas that they're trying to push with yeah. no money done. It sounds like ninja loans all over again. That's yeah, where starters. Yeah. Number two, the the borrower that they're targeting. Even though I'm technically the borrower they're targeting, <laughs> I'm also looking at the actual unit economics of it all. 
And the first thing, the red flags that keep going off is right now that market has started to correct. But in certain areas, yeah, the price was artificially inflated. Yeah. So even if it appraises at it, if there was a market correction or a market softening, yeah. Now everyone's under underwater yeah. before they even turn the wrench. Yeah. So that's why I was asking, like, what your take on that was, because like from my point, it's a little scary, dude. I I literally see why I even brought my family down to Florida in 06, 07 because mm-hmm. it's like, dude, they're borrowing so much more than the house is actually worth. Oh yeah, man. We're gonna pick that up for pennies on a dollar. Yeah. Which we did. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, dude. I just see it happening all over again. It's yeah. kind of I don't know. Are you seeing the same thing, or maybe is, I'm just talking crazy? You know, from a homeowner's perspective, um, I don't. You know, that particular product, I don't know how well Bank of America is underwriting. You know, the individual. I mean, if they're just offering you know down payment assistance or or whatever, then mm-hmm. that's that's great as long as you know the underwriting of the individual person can support you know whatever loan it is. Okay. Um, I don't see as much of an issue uh, in it. I mean, I think you know. Bank of America is a pretty sophisticated bank, and so they are. I mean, I, I think that the, those loans still have to have you know certain credit scores. Individuals have to bring certain credit scores. Five eighty like minimum. That. Yeah. So I think you know the 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 main thing is is that um, is that a lot of people, you know, I, I guess the the institutions are trying to push home ownership mm-hmm. on people. Like that's the American dream is home ownership. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. Okay, I, I think like not everybody has to own a home. Yeah. When I was in Houston, I rented an apartment. I loved it. I threw my money away for three or four years. You but, fucking Neanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to own a home, oh, right? Oh man. I could have bought a three-story, you know, townhome, which is like everything that was around me were yeah. three-story townhomes, and you know, lived in on the bottom floor and in my bedroom, and then had an empty house, like, and paid the same amount of money that I didn't rent. But why would I do that? You know, I had a Fair. pool. I had a I had a nice patio. Like I didn't want to own a home, so I think, I think like pushing home ownership is just you know is is not what everybody you know necessarily needs or wants. That's and true. so that's I think the niche that we fall into also in our business is that you know we're providing housing for people that are in transition. They don't want to own a house. They want to be in Memphis for a couple years. Maybe they want to be in our house while they're in school. Maybe they're um, building a family and they want to move to the suburbs in a few years. So they're going to stay, you know, with us mm-hmm. uh, until they get ready to move out. And so, you know, the fact that, you know, I guess products, banks have come up with products like this a lot. Mm. You know, it's yeah. not just, you know, this one that Bank of America has come up with, but they always tout these products that, you know, make it easier for home ownership. And that's great for people that want to be homeowners. But, you know. There are also people that don't want to be homeowners, and they don't have to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, Grant Cardone talks about it all the time. Yeah, almost all. Yeah, the exactly. Time. Grant Cardone. He's like, yeah. you know, he's like, don't why am I going to buy this place? It's a depreciating asset. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, we we take care of like if the garbage disposal breaks. It's on me. If you get a roof leak, it's on me. If the appliance breaks, it's on me. Like, there needs to be some education that goes into when when somebody graduates from college, you know, and and they go and buy a house immediately a lot of times they haven't been educated financially on the cost, the real cost that goes into buying that house. Buyer's remorse. Yeah. And so they're like, man, I mean, I didn't think about the fact that I had to cut the grass. <laughs> you know, I don't have $700 to replace That's my funny. stove, like all that stuff, you know? And so I just think like there needs to be a level of financial education before, you know, you're pushing like, uh, that reminds, pushing me of, that on people. Uh, reminds me of an article I saw um, during COVID time a bunch of millennials that were buying homes or having buyer's remorse. And yeah, oh, yeah. This one couple sticks out to me in particular because of what you just said. They bought a house, what they believe was a great deal, 
and only five weeks into living in it, their AC busted. Yeah. And the guy, the guy was like, it's $25,000 to fix <laughs> this. And we yeah. already put all our life savings. Yeah. Life comes at you fast when you're it a homeowner. It does. Yeah. Man. And I think, you know, look, I think that, I think that, you know, the Bank of America, you know, loan facility is going to be great for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, it's not going to be great for a lot of people, just mm-hmm. like every other, you know, loan that has some gimmicks out there. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know that that necessarily does anything to, you know, um, to real estate values over time. I do think, however, um, that from an investment perspective, investor loans, mm-hmm. um, those are underwritten really heavily. And so there's not a lot of, you know, the liar loans out there, they're underwritten very well. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that there's an, like a, an overvaluation of home prices to the extreme like mm-hmm. there was in 2008, because I think the underwriting has gotten very strict for investors like me and for even homeowners to a large part um, are underwritten very heavily. So I think, I think the asset appreciation is real. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a huge correction in home, home values. Um, I do think, you know, the values have gone up and they'll, and they'll stay relatively, uh, yeah, relatively some markets high. are definitely going to fare better there. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't see it as a, um, you know, I don't see it as a, is, is necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Well, bef- before anything, um, if you're watching this and you're wondering a little bit of what we're talking about, we won't like, like go too deep, too deep, deep, but, but we'll say this, check out NACA. It's N-A-C-A, November Alpha, Charlie Alpha, NACA. Um, it's awesome for somebody who's new, don't wants to buy a home to live in. And if you don't, that's fine. Cause that's kind of yeah. where we're going with this. Um, but a lot of this education has been time tested battle approved for you yeah you're now going to be packaging this up in the fall i did see yeah you're going to be kind of like simplifying this process for a lot of folks yeah um i'd love to hear a little bit more about that because i know you're going to break down not only lessons you actually said you're filming the curriculum right yeah now. yep so we're we're launching uh what's called sfr university mm-hmm. in the fall and i'm going to teach people how to um how to, f- how to find real estate and buy it mm-hmm. um, from every different avenue, right? MLS, wholesalers. Wholesalers add good value, so don't get mad at me if you're a wholesaler. Like, I'll buy your houses still. <laughs> just stop um, with the success just, fee. Yeah, lower your success fee. <laughs> yeah, dude, be realistic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach people how to, how to renovate those houses because I firmly believe that in order to, you know, maximize um, your, you know, the value in the project, you have to renovate to unlock value. Mm -hmm. And then, so renovation is going to be a big part of this. And then what do you do after you do all that? Do you want to sell it? Do you want to, do you want to rent it out? Uh, Or do you want to turn it into an Airbnb? And so we've done all of it. We've wholesaled houses to ourselves and other people. We've renovated, you know, dozens and dozens of homes. And we've also uh, flipped to uh, sell. We've Mm -hmm. leased a ton of them and we have Airbnbs. And so it's really going to be a full comprehensive course from start to finish on what do you do? And how do you engage banks? How do you get loans? Like how much money do you need? You know, as a person individually, you know, how do I know if I can even invest in real estate? So it takes you, it's, it's, it's from the, you know, from Turn the beginning key. to the end. Yeah. Kudos. So, so I'm actually, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. It's gonna be cool. Yeah. Um, I could see so many different ways that people would benefit from it. Specifically the buy and hold. I'm more a fan of the buy and hold. Yeah. Like, me too. I, yeah. Like, me too. yeah. Especially when you cash out, like there's no taxes. So something, uh, if you're watching yeah. this, and, and, and Andrew, I know will definitely agree with this one is like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. If you're watching this and enjoying it, press pause for a second. Go to activemindsclub.com. Again, activemindsclub.com. Here you will have membership access to our exclusive networking events as well as behind the scene access to our guests where you yourself can ask them questions. Not to mention, at these events, 
and in the community. You're gonna have access to the very mentors that are here sitting with us, as well as many, many more that are doing cool things in stocks, marketing, cars, real estate, where we're going to have you have access to education, insights, how-tos, all things that you can apply to your life and business. So if you buy a property, you add a little elbow grease to it, it looks great, um, you can refi, you can refinance. I gotta stop using the jargon. You can refinance, <laughs> and basically what you're doing is after you're done, you have what's called ARV, after repairs value. So you get the house reassessed, yep. you have that new value, you take out the money from it. And the beautiful thing about that is that you're not paying taxes on that because you essentially borrowed against it. When you sell the house, like if you were to just flip it, you're gonna pay capital gains tax amongst other things you're gonna have to pay for, yeah. which basically means you have to now, if you made $100, I'm just you know making up numbers, if you made $100, you were paying tax on that $100. So when you refinance though, you can take out the $100 and it's your $100. Yep. And whomever is living in that place or you're renting it to is continuing to cover the mortgage and it just goes all over again, over and over again. So that's why, I, I mean, yeah. obviously you, you know this already, um, but that's why I'm such a fan of that. And yeah. also you, um, are one of the people that I love working around because if you're invested in your area, you're always looking for the long term. Like, yeah, exactly. you know, you said you did 75 homes, so you know that another hundred homes are now going to benefit from your work. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, it, and, and hell, if I live in your neighborhood and I'm just a homeowner as well, shit, I'm like, thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah. Cause you know, when you buy a home, um, location, 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 right. Yeah. Is what you always hear. Um, but you're technically buying your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, so if your house yeah. is, like you said, holes in the roof and, you know, things like that, yeah. your home value shit. Yeah, exactly, you know? man. I mean, exactly. We took a ton of vacant properties off the market. <coughs> People were driving by houses that were boarded up, and, and we were just taking those houses right off the market. And so now they're occupied, and they look great, you know. And you said one thing uh, earlier that, um, that you, you know, you've, you're a fan of the buy and hold method. I am, too, and I'm, I'm an apologist for that because – or evangelist, I guess, because <laughs> – um, I think real estate, this business is hard. It's hard to find a good deal. It's really hard to renovate you gotta it. And sift through a lot of crap. And you have to sift through a lot of crap. And then to go off and just sell that property for a quick, you know, 10, 15 grand, like that doesn't make any sense. Like, like it's you said, so go much refi work. your money back out of that and, and deploy it in another property because you have a cash flowing asset yeah. in perpetuity. So it's too much work, in my opinion, to do a flip, unless you're going to make 100 grand or something like that, yeah. rent that house out. That's See, that's a different ballgame. Like, there's a buddy of mine uh, named Hugo. His name is Juice. Shout out Juice on Instagram. Uh, I've known him for years, man. And he found his niche, which I also noticed you found your niche too. So he found this niche and he does not deviate from that, man. Yeah. You can show him anything else. <laughs> he was like, oh, I'll just like give it us to someone else. Yeah. But that's why that's so important about, you know, deciding what you want to work with. Like you have your niche. It, you'd be crazy to, to, you know, unless somebody like suddenly drops some like fortuitous fucking deal on your lap, then why not try it? Yeah. But I think that that's something you can definitely take away from this conversation. Um, not only did Hugo do it, uh, Andrew's doing it as well. It's where you find the deal that works for you and then you just keep mm -hmm. repeating that over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it reminds me of this Russian saying, like, you try to t catch two rabbits, you catch none. Yeah. You know, exactly. And, and, and I think that that's, that's why you're that's in this perfect. for the long run, dude. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, it also it also gives you a moat almost in your neighborhood or yeah. your area, because if I or Joe Schmo tries to land in your territory and tries to replicate it, you're kind of the big guy in town. Yeah, yeah, so, and, we, and we've benefited from that too. So we've had people move out and they've seen our sign, 
you know, in the, in the yard and they've been, and they've called me and said, Hey, look, you know, my, my mom passed away or something. And I know you buy a lot of houses. Do you want to buy this one? Boom. We've had that happen. Um, and now I look at people it as, know you now. Yeah. They know us like we're, we're a commodity and we're a known commodity in the neighborhood. Uh, we do a great job for our tenants and, and people and our residents and people know that. And, and I also think it's, it's part of my mission to make neighborhoods beautiful again. Hmm. And so I, I really, you know, hated the way that the investors came in and decimated the neighborhood, didn't care. They didn't live there. Uh, and I didn't either when I started buying, I lived in Houston, but I, I, I like making things look good and yeah. I didn't want that to be, you know, my legacy. And so we invest heavily on the exteriors of our properties. We, and we do landscaping. Uh, we put security lights around, you know, all the corners so people feel safe when they get home and stuff like that. And we also put, uh, put ring doorbells on all of our houses. Really? Uh, Cause tenants nice love touch. it, you know, it's nice touch and, yeah. and people want to, um, see, you know, when a package gets delivered or whatever, but could also help, you know, hmm. for safety and security. And so I'm trying to improve like neighborhoods, not just be that investor that comes in, puts lipstick on a pig, you know, <laughs> throws a tenant in there and, and forgets about the house. Like we're trying to actively manage our prop our projects. So that way, um, our, our properties, so that way we can, you know, benefit the neighborhoods. I learned that how you do any, anything is how you do everything. Um, you beautify in towns, whatever. So this must apply to how you take care of yourself as well. Yeah. I mean, for sure. You know, you're, 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 you're young, you got work to do, yeah. you got a whole life ahead of you, man. Like yeah. when it comes to how you're taking care of yourself, you know, what is something you're finding right now that's working for you? Man, it's got, it, it got a little hard. Like I had a, I had a kid, uh, he's one and a half years old congrats, now. Congrats, congrats. Welcome and to dadhood. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's, it's fucking scary. Cool. <laughs> Very messy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, it's so messy. It's so you're just picking up everything over and over and over again. Uh, so I got, I fell out of the gym a little bit, you know, when, when Hudson came, but, yeah. uh, I get, I've, I've gotten back, you know, into the gym and, uh, I'm, that really helps because you just, you know, put the headphones in and like get to zero everything out and like a um, monastery up in there. Yeah, man. It's nice. You know, it's nice to just get in and like, and forget about it all for a little while, you know? Nice. So that really helps me, um, you know, be healthy. I don't, Obviously, I don't I don't eat and drink the best stuff a lot of times, but you know I feel like if I go to the I mean gym, you have a lot of good food over where you are, dude. Some of <laughs> yeah. the best bourbon, of course. I mean, I'm duh. Yeah. But also some yeah. of the best barbecue. Holy Barbecue's shit. Barbecue's good. Yeah. You know. I don't know how you do it, man. I'm over here and I'm over here like oh shit. I don't <laughs> you just know how gotta you do stay it, away it. from some of those places, you know. Eat yeah. it sparingly. Pizza's my vice, man. I, I really could, I could eat pizza just you know. Stay away from New York, dude. Yeah, every day. Stay away from oh, New yeah, York for sure. <laughs> oh shit. Um, they just opened up a Joe's Pizza actually down here in Miami. Nice uh in winwood actually okay yeah so just throwing yeah. it out to the universe in case you want to drive by joe's pizza uh, I might have to um, do that. <laughs> um but when you're doing this obviously you, you're taking care of yourself you're focusing uh, a lot of problem solving i imagine for sure while you're in time, there man. um do you notice some of the people you work around maybe your colleagues fellow business owners whatever you want to call it yeah. your social circle um what are some of the biggest lessons that you're as you're observing them that you're getting from them like unspoken let's just say yeah because yeah because the way you analyze things makes me wonder like you must be around certain types of people and then learning from them without them actually have to tell you andrew this yeah. is what i learned man I've, I've been really fortunate to work with some of the smartest people mm -hmm. in um in business uh, my whole career so i was i used to sell commercial insurance and in houston i sold um, insurance products to oil and gas companies and I worked with a real high-end team that they were good at everything that they did. Mm -hmm. And really, it, it taught me to, every time I'm building a spreadsheet or building a, a PowerPoint presentation or an email that goes out that anybody sees, you know, proofread it, reread it, make sure that, you know, you don't have too many filler words in there, that it's like, you know, succinct nice. to the point, it's bullet pointed, you know, short lists that make sense. 
And so I think that, that you know, has helped me um, in business when I've organized, you know, the acquisition side of, of my business, the construction side and property management. Um, it's easy to get lost in all these details. And so over the years, I've been able to find people that have, that, you know, some of the, the best folks in business, um, they don't get lost in all those details. They keep, they keep short, you know, concise lists mm-hmm. uh, that are easily dupli- uh, replicatable and that they can duplicate uh, across, you know, different topics. And that's just, you know, really helped me um, mm-hmm. as I've built my business to do the same thing. You know, it's just to not reinvent the wheel, keep it kind of short, sweet, and concise, and, and, and move on. And then, you know, the other thing I think is like um, that, you know, it's okay to make mistakes, but don't make the same mistakes twice. So okay. if you make a mistake, you learn from it and you overanalyze it and you figure out what happened and how can I not do that again and then implement that strategy into your business. And that's helped us a lot too. Okay. So that definitely sounds like if like you see like a buddy of yours have a huge slip up, it almost feels like maybe I'm assuming here, you'd probably do the exact same process watching them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, and that's what mentorship, you know, does for you. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I was in high school, uh, one of our family friends owned a big landscaping business. And um, I started cutting grass when I was 14, um, just neighbors. You know, I was using their lawnmower, cutting their grass. And um, I was I was making more money at a, as a 14-year-old than any of my buddies. So I was <laughs> like, this is awesome. Yeah. And um, our family friend who owned this big landscaping company, you know, saw start, that I started cutting grass and took me under, under his wing and started teaching me a few things. He was my first mentor. And I made a ton of money cutting grass in high school and in college um, that I never would have been able to make had I not been able to learn from somebody else. And so I think a lot of people try to strike out on their own and hang their shingle and do it without any input from anybody else. And, you know, I get it. We all want to be the big man on campus that you can't, you know, teach anything to and stuff like that. But mentorship is so huge. You can lower the learning curve, learn from their mistakes, not make the same ones, um, and, and scale your business in whatever you're doing so much faster. If you've got, you know, if you've got that. Definitely on my end, sharing with you that I've noticed a pattern where a lot of the people that find a mentor almost through serendipity, it's always the same thing. It's that they just got started. And as mm-hmm. they got started, someone noticed. And that person that noticed kind of look at them and kind of see a little bit of themselves yeah. and say, yeah, come on in. Let's, let's, let's go through this yeah. together. And, yeah. and that's a common pattern I've noticed with a lot of people that have been fortunate because I'm pretty sure you see it all the time, especially on social media. Well, like, help me find a mentor. How yeah. do I find a mentor? All these how to help me, blah, blah. And it's, I mean, there also comes the point where you start to realize, like, if everyone needs a mentor, where, why is there such a huge gap? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but I think how you process information, like, I'm pretty sure that you've met people that you've learned from that never actually formally mentored you as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, is, oh, is yeah, there yeah, anyone yeah, that comes to mind that... Maybe we don't all know about them, but they've taught you something so fucking priceless. Yeah, I mean, I, I have people that have you know been in my life over the years that I've just kind of watched in business, and um, you know, friends that I've seen what they've done um, that you know have taught me so much about you know not only just business, but even you know how to be a, a good dad or a good husband or yeah, just a good you know. A, a good member of society. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I try to gravitate around people that, you know, have those same values that I do mm-hmm. um, and, and keep those people close, you know, in my life. Is it harder these days or easier these days? Well, it's harder because of time, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> okay, yeah, you, you know, working and, and with family and stuff like that, you know, your, your friend, your friend group, 
you know, in, in high school and college is like huge. And yeah. then, you know, the older you get, it gets, you know, smaller because you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. You know, and then add dad to the mix. And that's yeah. And then like, add a dad. But yeah, I mean, I, we've got, you know, three or four, you know, good couple friends that are, are close and nice, good buddies man. of mine that, you know, we spend a lot of time with. And that's perfect. Regularly, you know. Um, so as, as if you're watching, listening, one impress, you know, pause and rewind. Wanted to give you some of the bullet points that are we're going over here, right? Um, and to you can Google some terms, etc. So the very first thing we got into is in valuation. So valuation is something that very often gets done wrong. Mm-hmm. Now you can look at facts and figures and use your Excel, Excel, Excel spreadsheet, and that's fine. Formulas are great; they do in fact work. But there's that secret sauce, and that secret sauce is sometimes that gut. And another way to call gut is just your experience. So before anything, it's about learning that you can, a pound of practice is worth a ton of theory. Something my mentor taught me a long time ago, and I still say it to this day because it's true. You can have all the theory you want, but the practice is what's going to make perfect. Then after that, we started getting into, in terms of his approach to really where to focus. Something he immediately, at least caught my attention, was he found his niche. He said, I found this type of home. Mm-hmm. I found this type, down to the freaking foundation, by the way, this is awesome. <laughs> um, he basically has this exact home and he knows what works for it. He knows where he wants it and he just keeps scaling that up, which is why now he essentially has built up 75 homes. Let's call it what it is. He basically built a neighborhood after a while. And that is now paying off in dividends, which takes us to the next part. When you get one thing right and you keep scaling it, scaling and scaling it, kind of like Henry Ford did with cars in production, after a while, that's going to leave residuals. So, for example, in his case, that neighborhood, he's having people call him now. He's having deals brought to him. His lead generation costs are going down. And on top of that, he's made a name for himself in that area where essentially he now has a little bit of, as the kids would say, clout, but specifically leverage. Mm-hmm. which brings us to that part of valuation leverage is important because right now especially in real estate and even if you're not watching this for real estate purposes just for career purposes mm-hmm. there's a thousand use so how do you become one of one is to focus on what you do well add your little sasong, you know your little your, your your magic to it and you scale that and that's how you get leverage leverage is why somebody can charge more than the other it's mm-hmm. why he could walk into a room or a neighborhood and they know exactly who he is after that, we started getting into a little bit of like, okay, what makes the man the man? In this scenario, Andrew takes us back to basically when he was 14, 15, 16 years old and figured out here is something that I can do to make me money, which of course, if you've ever watched Active Minds before, you'll know that's what puts you in front of what soon becomes your mentor. You start doing, you start attracting. And that's just, it's just, there's no rocket science to it. Yeah. That then takes him on the path where he starts to realize, shit, I'm really good at this. Oh my God, I'm making money. Oh my God, now what else can make me money? Which brings us back to the perfect practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. And then of course, after that, we start to round things up with Andrew sharing that the same way that he approaches his business, he applies it to his life. Because how we do anything is how we do everything. And in this scenario, how it affects him and how it affects you and I watching this and hearing him is the way that business is working for him, his, his life can take that exact same course because in his scenario, he's going to the gym, he's taking care of himself while all while being a dad, which is why he's actually focusing on three to four good friends. Not all the world, not <laughs> all the cloud on social media, no chasing likes, just focusing on his son Hudson, his family, and his neighborhood. How are we doing so far? Is it yeah. kind of like, just wanna yeah, make sure right. we didn't miss anything that you no, were yeah. sharing with us. Yeah, it's all good. And now as you know, we start to round things up, 
you are going to be releasing your course yeah. in fall. Do you have a set date yet? Not really. Uh, you know, we're filming uh, now and okay. we're putting a lot of the material together. It's it's way more you know work than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so yeah. I've got a full time job with a real estate company, and now I got another full time job, you know, building a course. But yeah. um, hopefully, it's going to be you know. It was going to be early November. I'm, I'm targeting like late November now. Okay. So, you know, roughly two or three months away from that. Um, and then, you know, it's really, I just think, I think, I think we have an opportunity. There was a study that came out um, recently that I think it was, um, it was a life insurance company, MetLife, you know, research or something like that. And they said that uh, institutions own 5% of single family home inventory now. And, and they're projected to own in eight years, they're projected to own 40% single family home inventory Shit, because there's jump. a lot of tired landlords that own five to ten properties um you know they're getting to retirement age they don't want these properties their their kids don't want them so there's a huge opportunity for all of us mm -hmm. that want to get into single family real estate to do it but we have to act and we have to act fast so the institutions don't gobble up all that inventory because they're never going to sell it so <laughs> i think we have to be that counterbalance uh, to those big companies that are coming in and buying a lot of these properties in the neighborhood. Um, we've investors, you know, like me have got to come in and counterbalance that activity in those acquisitions. So let's not let them get to 40. Let's let them get to 15. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to try to put the course together oh, and get it out good. there to teach people how to do this so we can go buy these houses. I can't oh, do it absolutely. all. I don't have enough money. Absolutely, time. man. I mean, the, it, I'm echoing your sentiments and hell seconding it by saying entrepreneurship is activism. And in yeah. your case, Hell yeah, they're not gonna yeah. sell those homes. Are you kidding me? Yeah, this is a landlord for forty percent of America. Yeah. Imagine being a landlord for forty percent of America. It's happening, and and my my point back to should should people be a homeowner? Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about earlier. You know, should should you know should you buy your own house? Whatever. Like I was I was renting an apartment and buying real estate. I wasn't a homeowner for uh, owner occupant, but I was still a homeowner yeah. buying real estate. And I would, I would tell, you know, people that like, you don't have to own your own home to be a real estate investor. Exactly. You know, you can rent a place, be a real estate investor. Um, a lot of times it's better use of your money doing it that way. Uh, so, you know, you, you don't just think, think, think through that. That's um, long-term thinking. And that's, I hope addition. that you take that and run with it. That's long-term thinking, by the way. In a scenario, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you're, like, even if you're renting, but when you are renting, though, you live in a place that has all the amenities taken care of. You yeah, don't have to worry right. about the grass and everything. <laughs> yeah. So, no, yeah. that that's that. See, and that's something that I hope more people take into consideration, which is buying income. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're buying income at the exactly. end of the day. You're not buying a, a car or a yeah. watch, which, by the way, still outperforms the S and P, as I joked earlier. Yeah, exactly. Um, but if no, you, absolutely. Yeah. I hope more people uh, take your advice and run yeah, with if you've it. You've got a chunk of money. Deploy it to assets that are going to pay you instead of a house that's not going to pay you. Absolutely, man. You know? I had to buy a house. We wanted to rent in Memphis when we moved there. We yeah. wanted to rent. We were dying to rent, but we couldn't find anything that kind of fit. You know what where you wanted. we wanted. We have a dog. Nobody had dog parks. You know, it was just like you're going to buy this apartment and there's nowhere to take the dog out and stuff like that. So we needed a yard. Mm. You know, because nobody had a dog park and attached their apartment. They're everywhere in Houston, and so that was really you know for us it was like our dog made us buy a house. I guess. <laughs> um, but you know, it kind of, it kind of is. So, um, you know, we, I would still be a, a renter now. If I, Random, if I but related to this. Have you ever looked at Scottsdale? Dude, I love Scottsdale. It's one of our favorite places in the world. Yeah. Cause uh, like your, your mid-century thing, like I love Scottsdale. Love it. It, it's love a, it's it. a homage to Frank Lloyd Wright over there. Man. It's like one of my favorite places in the world. Same. 
Um, my wife and I love it, and we like the art, we like the desert, just everything about it's amazing. But real estate is so expensive there. You know? Oh, I mean, can't, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I meant to I rent. sell all 200 homes that I have yeah. and buy one house in, in Phoenix, you know? <laughs> Yo, uh, Phoenix. So Holy crap, Phoenix. Phoenix what the hell happened? It's insane, man. But insane. I meant to, like, you know, visit or rent because, like, everything you've yeah. described that you like is, again, I, I fell in love with Scottsdale yeah. when I was over there. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, it's funny, like, all the – all the pundits are like, oh, you know, prices are falling through the floor and, you know, L.A. and Scottsdale and all this stuff. Yeah, they went up 50 percent and they're yeah. falling like 10. I mean, give me a break. It's still way up. You know what I mean? So it's not cheap. It it's gets you clicks, man. You already know why they're doing it. They're like, this guy is falling. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but, yeah. Man, I love it, man. It's beautiful. It's beautiful over there. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming out, man. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely want to leave with I want to leave us all with one thing on your end, man. In the next 12 months, what's something you're pre-proud I like to call it but what's something you're really excited about in the next 12 months man I'll tell you the the thing that I'm I'm excited about right right at this moment it's sooner than 12 months but I bought I bought 13 duplexes 15 really it um at a very popular or I guess busy intersection mm -hmm. in Memphis that had been run to the ground there were three environmental lawsuits from the city on three of these buildings that we inherited there were um, half of the portfolio was vacant because the owner couldn't invest in it. He had no you inherited the lawsuit. I inherited the lawsuit. Oh, the dude. properties got sued when I bought them. I mean, I'm that's my lawsuit. Yeah. Now. So I, I, I understood. I knew walking into this, <laughs> I was going to inherit these environmental lawsuits. Um, and so this project, I, I bought these uh, 30 units in December of 2021, and we're almost done renovating these to a very high standard and high quality uh we're going to be done in a couple of weeks so i know it's not 12 months but that's that project has been on my desk and like in my face for the whole year and it's almost done and they're they look great it's great for the city it's great for the whole neighborhood they wow. were completely falling apart i mean one of them should have been bulldozed but we rebuilt it and so i'm super proud of it i'm i'm really excited that that's going to be rolling off the finish line and so then it's going to allow me to get to a point where I'm like, okay, what's the next project? You know, <laughs> I've been able to think about that too well. So it's cool. It's Congratulations, really cool. dude. Thanks, I love man. what you're doing out there. Yeah, appreciate God it. God bless, man. Thank God you. God bless. Yeah. Well, I hope that you send us uh, photos of the finished product, Absolutely. by the way. Absolutely. I'd love to share those. Uh, I want to give a huge thanks to not just Andrew, but Hands Free Automation, Vegan Gummies, keeping this machine running, uh, and also you, the viewer, the listener, specifically because I really cannot stress this enough. Take what's being said here. Even if you feel it doesn't apply to you, try it. Like you'd really be surprised at the things that are valuable. And that's even for this this whole episode, the whole idea is like valuations, valuations, valuations. Like the people you spend time with, the books that you read, the food that you eat. I can keep going. You get the point, right? Again, please remember, a pound of practice is worth a ton of theory. This has been Active Minds Podcast, where we have a little fun with people who are paving their own lanes, like Andrew. We learn from them, we explore their experiences, we have a little fun to see what it means to us, and most importantly, the whole idea of this is for you and I to move smarter together. I've been Catriel Zizarfati, catch you next time. So guys, as we're wrapping up, we wanna remind you that we have our membership program now available on activemindsclub.com. Activemindsclub.com, grab yourself a seat, see you there. <laughs>